Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Worship is never a waste. John chapter 12, verse 3, in the New International Version, says this. It says, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. Everybody say that again. An expensive perfume. And she poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Father, we thank you today, right now. We just extend our praise and our our worship to you. Have your way, Jesus, in our lives. Lord, I know that many of us come from different backgrounds, even in this church. Some of us come from Pentecostal backgrounds. Some of us come from charismatic backgrounds. Some of us come from Catholic backgrounds. Some of us come from Baptist backgrounds or Methodist backgrounds or whatever. But the thing that's happening right now is the colleges that this is happening at all different denominations. Because it's not about any of that. It's about your word and it's about your spirit. And so, Father, I thank you that there is a move going on to bring people back to the validity and veracity of your word. And that, Lord, there's a move going on to stand up and say what God's word says is true. And I'm so thankful that the people who are declaring it are 16 to 25. I'm so thankful that you've reached into this generation and and said, I'm going to get them. I'm going to bring them into the family. I'm going to keep them. So, Father, we thank you for that. But, God, we don't want to miss it either, those of us who are outside that. So, Lord, let us be willing to let our hearts be cultivated to do whatever it is you want to do in our lives that makes a difference not only in us, but makes a difference in advancing your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You could be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking good today. Even if they're not, even if they're not, come on, say it in faith. Worship is expensive. If you're looking at your notes and you're doing your notes in the app, that's the first uh, note you're going to see, the blank you're going to see. Worship is expensive. You know, we find in this story, and many people will tell this story, and they make this story about a lot of things it's not about. You know, you can talk about how the, the, the Simon and, and Judas were so angry and frustrated with um, Mary for doing what she did. And the truth is they had wrong hearts and, and you know, Judas was a thief and he, he wanted that money for himself. He didn't really want it for the poor. He wanted it for himself. So a lot of times people will try to squelch or, 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 or criticize what's happening in someone else's life because they have their own personal agenda. And that's what was happening there. But that's not really what I want to focus on today. And, and, and you could talk about how she was brave or courageous. And I, that's not what I want to focus on today. I, I want to focus on what she did. I want to focus on what she did, what she did with. I want to focus on what was valuable to her. We know that Jesus did a miraculous thing in her life. We know that Jesus saved her from all kinds of behavior that was, was bad and, 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 and behavior that was 
um, uh, sinful and her life was a mess and her, 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 her brother and sister uh, encountered with her Jesus and Jesus changed everything in their world, changed everything in her life. And Mary was this prolific praiser. She was a prolific worshiper. She literally found such moments of unity with just worshiping God. You remember the story when Martha was running around busy trying to get everything cleaned and Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha said to Jesus, hey, tell her to come and help me. And Jesus tells her very clearly, you chose the wrong thing. She chose the right thing. It's not as important to do all that busy work. It's important you sit at my feet and receive from me and worship me. And so Mary had this connection, this understanding, this thing with God. You know, back in those days, Mary was, you know, obviously a female. And so she would have not had some of the advantages that men in her day had. Like she probably, Lazarus probably owned some property, but she personally did not own property. So when you think about what she used to worship Jesus, you have to understand it was very expensive. Probably her inheritance, probably the savings that she had saved for a rainy day, probably very, very valuable to her. Matter of fact, not probably, absolutely valuable. And what I, what I want us to get and understand as believers today. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, you're going to hear some things that I say that are going to prick your heart. You're going to understand. And I believe before you leave today, you're going to give your life to Jesus. But who I'm really talking to today is us. I'm talking to those of you who are believers, who follow Jesus Christ. And I'm talking to you about us, us together. I'm talking to us about the idea of what it really takes to open up our heart and worship God at that level. To worship God in a way that his response is powerful to our lives. You know, there was a woman who was, had an issue of blood. Do you remember this woman? She was sick for 12 years and nobody could fix her and everybody took advantage of her. They took her money and left her with no solutions. And she went to every doctor you can think of. She went to every person you could think of that would kind of help her or try to help her with her solution and she could not. And one moment she heard about Jesus. Jesus came through the community she was living in. She heard about his power. She heard about his ability. She says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, something powerful will happen. I know he could heal me. He wouldn't even have to say anything to me. He's just that powerful. I've heard the stories about Jesus. You know, sometimes church, we need to remember ourselves. We need to remember the stories we know about Jesus, not just heard about Jesus, but what we know about Jesus. You know, I know God heals. And when you hear me pray for someone to be healed, it's not just because the Bible says God heals, or there's many, many illustrations of Jesus healing, but because I know personally, God has healed my own body. And I've prayed for people and watched them be healed a immediately in my presence. I'm telling you, when we decide that we're going to worship God with an open heart, with a depth of soul, where we're going to go all in, that God's response to us, even involuntarily, is powerful. He didn't even have to turn around. He didn't even acknowledge her. She touched him and virtue left him and went into her. And she said, oh, thank you for healing me. He said, your faith healed you. In other words, you understood me so real and so true that God moved in your life simply because you believed. God wants us to worship in a way that, that takes us out of all the problems and out of all the context. We've, we've taught here for years that, that it's peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of Jesus in the middle of conflict. And so we need to understand that, and we need to have that peace. We need to understand it. But the way we get there is by worshiping God and allowing everything else to fall away. 
Worship is expensive. It was expensive to her. This perfume cost an average man's salary for a year. That's what she was giving to him. A year's salary for a man in her culture. She was giving it to him. What did she do? She surprised everybody because they were just having a meeting where Jesus was talking to people. And she walks in, and I can't even imagine what that must have been like for her because it was out of order uh, in any kind of context that they would have currently had. And it was looked upon as foolish and silly. And why would she do this? And I can't imagine what it was like when Jesus came into the house and the men that were with him are sitting around and, and, and all the people that were outside wishing that they were inside. And here she comes standing at the door and she's holding this bottle of perfume. And she's, she's, she knows what she's wanting to do. She's made up her mind. She's already in her heart given it. She's already in her heart given it. She doesn't have to physically give it even. She's already given it in her heart. So the only thing left to do is just do it. And so she's standing at the door. She's looking at Jesus. She's looking at everybody around. She had to have a moment of, oh, this is going to be awkward. This is going to be perceived as weird. This is going to be looked on as foolish. But I cannot help myself. He's done so much for me. I cannot stop myself. I've got to worship him. So she walks over to Jesus and she does something that's humiliating. She gets down on her knees and she begins to wash his feet. In their culture, this was the most subservient thing you could do. You were subjugating yourself below the level of a servant when you washed someone's feet. And she went in and she took this expensive perfume. And she began to pour it over his feet and over his hair and over his body. And, and what was so great about this, and many theologians believe that it was so Aramaic, uh, or, or aromatic, I'm sorry, that, and also Aramaic, but it was uh, aromatic. And when she put it on him, many theologians believe that when he was hanging on the cross just a few days later, you could still smell it. The worship was still evident in his life. She was preparing his body for burial. She somehow got an insight into what was about to happen and what Jesus was about to do. And she prepared him. She cried tears over his feet. She poured the oil over his feet. And the Bible says in one translation that she broke the bottle. Which means she did not keep any in reserve for herself. This was a lot of money. This was a lot of of inheritance. This was a lot of savings. This was a lot of everything she had. What she was basically doing was saying, I'm giving everything I have. He's done so much for me. I'm giving everything I have. It's something that we struggle with in our culture today because we are so fond of what we have. Oh, come on. Don't, don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. We are so fond of the blessings that God has given us that sometimes when we are required by Christ to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him, it is a very difficult proposition because we have so much. I was just driving by the other day, and another storage unit is going up. Like, they're building storage units all over the place. The average American, or, or if you were to average the amount of storage buildings in the United States of America, 1.5 storage buildings per person in America. That means we have so much stuff, we have to buy a building to put it in and never look at it again. Because you know you don't look at it. You're like, oh, I'll, I'll come. Fishing comes back around. I'll come get all that stuff out there. Fishing. And then you don't have any time to go fishing. You're like, just leave it there. 
Then you die and somebody has to sell it. Are you with me? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a storage building. Some of you are like, man, I didn't, I didn't need to pray through over the storage bill. Maybe. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is we love the blessings that we have. And, and there's nothing wrong with it as long as we use the blessings that we have to advance the kingdom of God, to change someone's life, to bless someone else for the purpose of the kingdom. Worship is expensive. What was Mary really giving? What is the significance of this bottle of perfume? What did it mean to her? What was she giving up to give it? She was giving up her security. She was giving up her savings. She was giving up her everything. And the question I'm going to ask you today, and I'm asking myself all week I've been asking myself, what's my bottle? What's our bottle? What do we need to break over Jesus in worship. Why did Mary do this? What was her motivation? What was her reason for such an unbelievable and generous act of worship? It was because she loved him so much. She knew what he had done and what he was going to do for her. And she had to give it all. She had to give it all. She was motivated by the cost. And I would imagine as she was praying over his feet and tears were running down her face and she was washing his feet with her hair and that perfume was filling the room and filling the house, I would imagine she was saying to herself, this isn't enough. If I had more, I would pour more. If I had more, I would give more. That was her heart. It was like, I don't want to keep anything for myself. I break it over you. And the question to us today is, what do we need to break over him in worship that we're holding on to that's keeping us from experiencing everything he wants to do in our life? David said when he had done something wrong and sinned and judgment came to the Israel and an angel was cutting a path across Israel and people were dying and being judged, he ran out into a field where the angel's path was leading and he asked the man, I need some wood, I need some animals and he was going to make a sacrifice to God and the man said, I'll give it to you, King David. You don't need to buy it from me. He said, no, I will not give God a sacrifice from that which costs me nothing. His heart was, I, I need God, and I'm giving something that matters to God. It, it, this implies and infers that we got to stop worrying about all of our wants and desires all the time. we got to stop being offended at every little thing and every little thing. We've got to start saying there are more important things in life than just me getting what I want or me thinking what I want or me saying what I want. Come on. We've got to get to the place where we understand God has more for us. Paul the Apostle prayed for the church, God, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you more or better. So the first thing is worship is expensive. You can write that down in your notes. And the second thing is worship is sacrificial. We have forgotten and sometimes that when Jesus called his disciples, and I know why we forget it, because... We know the gift of grace. And when we talk about salvation, we got to tell everybody and we need everyone to know you can't earn salvation. You can't earn a place with God. You're not good enough. You'd never be good enough. In your most righteous moments, the Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. You're not good enough. You couldn't earn it if you tried. So when God gives you grace and saves you and brings you into his family, it's because he gave you unmerited favor. Not because you earned it from him. Not because you did anything. Because you know how we humans 
Christians are. If we got salvation by us doing something, then we wouldn't give credit to God. We'd take credit ourselves. Look what I've done for me. And we know that's not how salvation comes. But salvation isn't the end of the spiritual experience. And Jesus tells people, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You must give of yourself. You must make me the most important, the most important thing in your life. I know a lot of pastors, including myself at different times, who their church has been more important than God. I know many parents and families, that their family is more important than God. And we don't think that's true, and we would never say it's true, and we would always deny it. But the truth is, our actions defy us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. Now, let me, let me just give you an understanding of what happened there. You know, what that was, it was, a, it was an occurrence between God and Abraham. And God was checking Abraham. He was testing Abraham to see if Abraham really loved him more than anything else. Especially did he love him more than the blessings that he had given him. Did he love him more than the promise he had made to him? And so there was an occurrence happening right there, right then with Abraham and God. But then what God did with Abraham at that moment was also a prophetic thing. He was pointing to what was about to happen. Did you know that many believe that where Abraham sacrificed Isaac on that altar, you can see Golgotha from there. Many believe that it was on Golgotha that Abraham made that sacrifice. Golgotha is the place where Jesus died. So what God was saying to us is what I'm requiring of Abraham is what I'm going to do for you. And so through Abraham, God was prophesying to the world of a sacrifice to come. You say, is that true? Yes. Look at all the, the examples. Look at all the connections. Jesus, uh, when Abraham took Isaac up onto that uh, mountain, what did he say? He said, he said, we will be back down. So he was already speaking of the resurrection. He knew that God gave him a promise in, in Isaac. And he knew that if God caused him to kill his own son in a sacrifice, that God would raise him back from the dead. So he told him, we're coming back down. He was speaking. There was a moment of Gethsemane for Isaac. See, many of us, because we learned the story of Abraham and Isaac in Sunday school, that we think Isaac was a little seven-year-old boy. Now, I don't know if y'all have ever tried to wrangle a seven-year-old boy. But that's, that's akin to... Handling a bobcat. But he wasn't, most theologians believe he was somewhere between 17 and 30. So this idea that Abraham got him up there, put him down on the altar at 7, and, 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 and hoping that God didn't, it wasn't that. It was an, an, an act of submission on Isaac's part to be laid on that altar. It was that Gethsemane moment when he said, hey, Dad, I see that we have wood here. I see that we have fire. But, Dad, there's something I don't see here. Does this sound familiar? Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will. Your will be done. He says, where's the sacrifice? And 
Abraham turns to him and says, listen very carefully what he says, God will provide himself a lamb. So they go up on the mountain. They, they, can you imagine being Isaac? They build the altar. They put the wood on the altar. He says, son, you're the lamb. Doesn't say that, but Isaac's getting the point about now. And he lays himself down. And, of course, Abraham, in obedience to God, proving to God, I will make sacrifice. I will personally sacrifice to prove to you my love, to my commitment to you, that you are number one in my life and nothing takes the place of you. Not a promise, not a blessing, not anything. Nothing takes the place of you. And it's so funny because the language in this, in the Hebrew, it's so aggressive. He pulls his knife back and he's going to take, make a sacrifice of his own son. And the angel says, don't touch him. Like, what in the world are you doing, man? Like, God didn't tell him to do it. Like, you are crazy, man. Don't touch that promise. What are you doing? But God speaks, and later in Hebrews, we find out, God says, I put Abraham to the test, and he showed me that his promise and his blessing weren't more important to him than I was. Worship is more than singing songs. Worship is more than coming together. Worship is life. It is every time you get up in the morning and every time you go to bed at night. It's everything you do in between. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us, do everything as unto the Lord. Don't do some things as unto the Lord. Everything. Let it be with excellence as if you were working for God himself. Why? Because everything you do is worship. Think about the fact that God breathed his breath of life into the dust and made man. Every time we talk, we're sending that breath back to him every time we sing we're sending that breath back to him well let's send worship back to him let's send holiness back to him let's sing praise back to him this is why Hebrews said let the words of your mouth be the fruit of your mouth only be for edification continually Oh, man, some, oh, some of us need to learn this, amen, on the highway, amen. Come on, in the, on the street, in, in the, on, on social media, come on. Are you with me? So it's sacrificial, worship is. And so we have to ask ourselves a question. What's my bottle? I know this is different than what I normally do, but I just want you to just follow me with this. What's, what's my bottle? What's the perfume? What is so valuable to me that possibly it's become so valuable that its value registers higher than my value for my relationship with God? Because when you value something one of the reasons we have to be sacrificial with our worship is because sometimes we, we, we value things above the value we have for God. And when we value something at a higher level than we value God, that it then becomes idolatry. It then becomes giving our devotion and our dedication to something that it doesn't belong to. So I've put kind of five categories or, yeah, five categories up here that I, I think we might look at just today as an example or an illustration of are there things in my life that are more valuable than the way I value God? 
Am I willing to personally sacrifice? And the first one is family. This is my family. Good-looking bunch. I love them. As a matter of fact, I'd do anything for them. And if anybody tried to hurt them, we're going to have a problem. I'm saved, but you know, sometimes not all the way. You know what I'm saying? I mean, y'all know what I'm saying. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'd forgive after there was major damage done. I, I, I'm just saying I love these people. And I, I count it and consider it my responsibility to protect them, to provide for them, to care for them. I love them. I value them. But I'm going to tell you something that Jesus said that you might be shocked at and probably appalled at. But he said it without equivocation. You should hate your family. What? Jesus never said hate your family. He absolutely did. I can take you to the scripture in the gospels and read it to you. Now, we have to understand why he said it. Because we often take things out of context when Jesus says things because we want him to say what we want him to say and not what he really said. So let's just look at the context of what he's saying. He was obviously using hyperbolic language. In other words, he was using dramatic language. And he was talking about your devotion to him and to God. That in comparison to your love for me, your love for your family would be hate. He's saying there's that big of a difference of your commitment between. You say, but wait a minute, we're all about family. You talk about family all the time here at Summit Church. Absolutely right. Absolutely true. But we want to do family the way God wants us to do family. And that's by being devoted to him and putting him at the center of our life and allowing him to influence every part of our family. And then our family grow in grace and love for him, moving in his purpose and his will and his way of doing things. But we get it backwards and we start valuing our family up here and the way it reflects in our culture is we put our family before our relationship with God and we allow our family to become this idol that we don't realize we've created and every time you find yourself pulled away, I remember hearing about John Wesley's mother. She had a lot of kids, and, and she, she, she was a prayer warrior. This is why he learned to be a prayer warrior, but she was a prayer warrior. And they said that it wasn't uncommon for her to sit on her bed, pull her apron over her head just to get some peace so she could pray. Just cover herself up and say, let the kids do whatever. I'm going to spend some time with Jesus. And then we got John Wesley out of that. I think that's a pretty good deal. And Charles, little songs, a few songs out of that. Are you hearing me? But where, where, does, where does this reflect? Well, when we allow the dynamic of our family to start interfering with our growth in God. And here's the, here's the most horrible part about it is that when we begin to idolize our family and we give them value over our value for God, what happens is it hurts them the most. Because we're setting a precedent that's telling them, always value your kids or your family or your parents or your grandpa, whatever, above God. If they want something or they need something or this is the flow of their life, even if that takes you out of church, even if that takes you out of prayer, even if it takes you out of studying the word, even if it takes you out of whatever, that, that's what you do because they're the most important thing. And I'm sorry, I love these people, but if I'm standing... Before Jesus, I know I cannot be all that I'm supposed to be for them if I'm not everything I need to be with him. Are you hearing me? So what is your, what is your bottle? Maybe, maybe it's not family. 
Maybe your bottle isn't family. Maybe it's career. Now, this is, would not be my choice for a briefcase. I'm just letting you know. I'm, this is a female briefcase. I'm not female. Um, but is it career? Well, we live in the American dream. We're doing what God wants us to do. We're challenging. We're challenging. You know, we're wanting to prosper so we can be a blessing for a kingdom. But I find so many people that start with that intention and their value level for their career rises above their value level for God and the very blessing God has given them. They're using it as more valuable. And there needs to be a moment where they take it and break it over Jesus. And say, I worship you with this thing that's way more important than I should be, than it should be. Maybe it's this. Y'all don't know what this is. Now, I'm not against money. I know a lot of preachers are. I'm not against it. Because money has no moral fiber at all. It's not good. It's not bad. It depends on who's handling it. Are you with me? It depends on who's handling it. But the problem isn't with us having money. The problem is with money having us. And let's all admit today that this is a problem. Are you with me? You say, well, it's just a problem for those who have a lot of it. Really? Then why are you complaining about it all the time? Why are you so happy to jump on the bandwagon against those who have it? Because it's dominating your life too. Maybe not the, not, not, the, not the amount of it, but the lack of it. See, money can become this value that we put above God. Instead of using it for God and for his kingdom, we use it for everything we want and we desire. And then we have to try to maintain that. And we have to try to do that. And we have to try to work. Listen, it's, listen can I tell you something? It, it'll just destroy you. If you don't do it the right way. But it can be a benefit to you. It can be a benefit to your friends. It can be a benefit to your ministries. It can be a benefit to church. It could be a benefit to your city. It could be a benefit to your family and their inheritance and generations to come. But it will be that if you learn the principles of the word of God to not value it more than you value him. And so to you, maybe this is the, the bottle that needs to be broken. Maybe this is what you need to worship with. Maybe you need to let go or make it let go of you and decide you're going to honor God with what he's given you and not allow your blessing to become the replacement for the blesser. That's what Abraham was doing. He was putting the blessing on the sacrifice because he was saying to God, you're more important to me than this promise. You're, and do you remember? Do you remember this promise? He couldn't have kids. He was 100 years old. And he finally had this promise, this child. And God said, I'm going to make a nations out of this. But he was now telling him, kill it. Why? Because I want to know that he is not more important than me. That you'll follow me regardless of what happens with him. Are, are you hearing me? I know this sounds strong, but I'm just, I'm just teaching you and preaching what Jesus did. So maybe it's time. Oh, and this really is. This really is one of the big ones here. Because I got news for you. In today's world, this is not the number one commodity. This is the number one commodity time and some of us don't know how to get a hold of this we don't know how to 
manage this. We don't know how to make it subservient to the purpose of God in our lives. So we're just constantly reacting to whatever happens. And, and time is consumed with activities. And time is consumed with what other people want for my life. And time is consumed with urgent and unimportant things. And time is consumed. And it's flying. And it's going so fast that I can't seem to stop it. And I can't get control of it. And everything is happening. And I'm out of control. And I don't feel like I'm in charge of my time. Because most Americans are not. Time is in charge of you. Time is in charge of me. And what we have to do is go back to saying, God, you say, well, how, do, how does that look? How does that look when I break the bottle of time over the feet of Jesus? How does that look? It looks like me saying, I know there are a lot of things I need to do today, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to seek the face of God before I do anything. Oh, you're, but you're, but you're, th- I, literally I had a meeting at 6.30 the other day, a.m. And so I got up at four to pray. And you say, well, good for you. <laughs> That's how I felt when I got up. Let me tell you, good for you, Gadbear. You're so religious. But, but, and I'm not trying to get us to be legalistic, but I, I've just, I've just made up my mind. Nothing is going to keep me from having that relationship with God. I am going to value him more than I value anything else. And so if I have to adjust things in my schedule, if I have to cancel things in my schedule, if I have to move things in my schedule, then I will do it because he has more value to me than anything else. I will break the bottle of time over his feet and worship him with my whole self if I have to give it all to him. And the last thing is this one, WNS. This is not a railroad company. Hebrews 12 and 1. And this is where a lot of us struggle. And I'm about to close. Weights and sins. Hebrews 12 1 says that there are weights and sins that beset us. Now, it, it doesn't just say sins. It says weights and sins. What, what does that mean, weights and sins? It means that there are things in our life that are not sin, but get in the way of the purpose of God. There are some relationships that are not sin, but you know they're keeping you from what God wants for your life. There are some, there are some opportunities that are not bad, they're not sin, but you know that's keeping you from what God wants to do in your life. So it's not necessarily sin. We do have sin issues too. And sin will entangle you to such a way to this earth that you won't value God. You won't worship God. You won't sacrifice to God. You won't give of yourself to God because you're so bound up by those sins. But it's not the sins that a lot of us have problems with. It's the weights. It's the making other things more important. It's the just not being able to say, no, I'm not going that way anymore. No, I'm not going to belong to that anymore. No, I know that's how you think and that's how you feel, but I'm not going with that anymore. No, I've sat here quietly. I've listened to all this. No more. I'm not going to let the weights of this life drown me or keep me from running this race. I am going to become unentangled with this world because I'm going to break those weights and sins over Jesus. I'm going to say, God, you're, you're more important than anything else in my life. Nothing else, nothing else will do. I want you. I want you. You know what? As your pastor, that's all I want. 
I just want you in your heart, your deep heart, I want that just to be your greatest desire, God. I want you. I want I don't care about anything else, really. Nothing else this world has to offer me is going to ever, it's, it means nothing. I want you. I can't lead my family without you. I can't keep things in order without you. I can't, I can't own my life and money without you. I can't get control of time without you. I can't reduce these weights and sins without you. I can't wrangle my career into subjugation to my life without you. See, worship is wonderful. That's the last point I'll make. Scripture in 12.2 of Romans, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. When our focus is on being a living sacrifice, we are not distracted by this world. Can I Listen to what that Scripture says. God's not asking you to be a martyr. There are people that have had to martyr, be martyred. There are people in the world today that are being martyred right now for their Christianity. They're being killed. There are people right now, get it in your head, that are being executed because they will not defy their faith. They will not go against Jesus. And they're being killed. There are countries in this world right now where that is happening as we sit in this room. But God didn't ask all of us to do that. He asked us to be a living sacrifice. In other words, live your life not as one who is a martyr, but live your life as one who's willing to be a martyr. Give yourself wholly and completely. When we are truly in awe of the wonder of Jesus, our hearts cannot help but sing. Our desire is to bring all that is valuable to us and lay at His feet. And with a willing heart, Say, thank you for the privilege of serving you. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for the cross. You are worthy. And I thank you because you have considered me. David said in the Psalms, why do you even consider humanity? And the answer is because he loves you. Worship is a lifestyle. Mary broke the bottle. Nothing held in reserve. Total spiritual abandon. Mary focused her gift and generosity on Jesus. She didn't put it anywhere else. She was completely 100% focused on him. It wasn't about religion. It wasn't about what people see. It wasn't about what people thought. It wasn't about opinions. It wasn't about any of it. All it was is she stood at that door and she said, I've got to get to his feet and I've got to begin to pour this out because he's worthy. He's worthy. Mary put to rest her feelings of concern of how the world would see her. And she became obsessed with living for the King. So what's our decision today? Jesus has done so much for us. He came, He taught, He died, He rose for us. We can live for Him. What is our treasure that needs to be broken over His feet? Are we willing to personally sacrifice that to God? Are we willing to act on what we know, not just pretend, but truly worship Him? I'm here to tell you today that that kind of worship, although the world looks on it and says, what a waste. We could have done this. We could have done that. They look on our lives as we commit ourselves wholly to God and they say, they're weird or they're strange or what a waste. My daughter's given her life to ministry. 
after graduating and it infuriates me when people come up to her and say so what are you going to do with your degree I want to go in ministry oh that kind of worship is never a waste so what are we going to do today stand with me I know this is a little somber I know it's a little different than what we normally do. But I really believe God said to start cultivating the hearts of the people of this church for what he wants to do in this church. So I'm not talking to you about the United States right now. I'm not talking to you about the world. I'm not talking to you about what's going on in a revival or lack of revival or whatever. I'm saying God wants to do something here. And my question to us is what are we willing to break? What are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to say, God, I have put this before you. I know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. And I have had a difficult time figuring out how to stop, how to change. And I just want to tell you what what it is. Here's, don't, you don't have to have difficulty about it anymore. It's this. Just make the decision and do it. And change whatever you need to change to, co- to coalesce with that decision. If I was to say right now, if I was to come to you and say right now, what's your bottle? Most of you already know. It's really not the question of what your bottle is. It's the question of what you're willing to do with it. And I'm telling you, for me, my bottle has been striving over trying to make this church work. Striving over purpose and make sure my life means something. Striving over wanting your life to be different. And God did something to me in October that took that all away from me. And my heart now literally is just, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. Whatever you'll do, I'm willing. And I'm not holding anything back. And I'm not holding on to any pride or any inconsistencies or any frustrations. I'm just saying without equivocation to you, I broke that bottle over the feet of my Jesus. And I'm not saved anything for myself. My whole life is given to him. And my question to you is, what is it? And are you willing to break it? Would you just extend your hands to the Lord right now and let's just pray. Father, as we wrap this service up, as we come to a conclusion, Lord, this whole message was just for the simple task of opening hearts and cultivating a new thought. That thought of if you were standing here today and you looked at us and said, follow me. But if you follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Would we do it? Would we drop it? Would we break it? Would we give it? Would we surrender 
So, Lord, everything, family, career, money, everything, Lord, time, weights and sins, touch our hearts today so that we'd be willing to surrender, that we're willing to give it. So I'm going to ask... that if you you can put your hands down I want to ask if you are here today and you say I know what it is and I'm at that point where I'm going to say God I'm ready to break it I'm ready to give it to you for someone here and I, I don't want to go any longer but for someone here it's unforgiveness you've been hurt you're holding on to the hurt and you won't let it go and you say you're not but you are and you're struggling and your life is being paralyzed as a result the Holy Spirit's telling me this right now and your life is not moving positively in the direction of God like it should be and you know it but you you just can't seem to say I've, and some of you just need to break unforgiveness and bitterness and contention over the feet of Jesus as worship to him and say God I'm letting it go Some of you, it's family. A lot of us, it's family. You say, you don't want me to abandon my family. I didn't say anything about that. I said, give them to Jesus and start doing things his way instead of the world's way. Guys, I cannot begin to warn you enough. It's going to pay later in positive ways if you'll do it that way, but it's going to cost later if you don't. We live in a time where it is what it is. You know what's going on around you. And just acting like it's not going to happen to your kid is not going to keep it from happening. You've got to make the switch. You've got to put it on the altar. So let's just, if you're there in any capacity or whatever it is, you would say, I'm going to do this week in my prayer times or right now I'm going to make a decision to break the bottle of this thing that I value, that I've allowed to become more important to God. Please don't hold back on this. Please don't be a prideful person. Please don't be that person that won't get a breakthrough because you're too proud. If that's you, just lift your hand up. We're all going to pray together. If that's you, just lift your hand up. We're all going to pray together. You say, I know there are certain things. Maybe it's not too intense. Maybe it's not too crazy, but it, it's something you know is standing in the way. Just lift your hand up real high. Don't be scared, scared of it. Don't be afraid of it. Now, as these hands are up, keep your hands up that I see right now. I'm going to pray a prayer. And, and there are some people here that you're saying, you know what it is. You know in your heart or you're thinking what it is, but you're just really not admitting it. And I'm just going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask God to prompt you or reveal to you what's got you stuck. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I pray that you'll reveal Whatever this is that needs to be broken over, their, over your feet, over your worship to you, making you more valuable than it. Lord, it could be something very subtle. could be something very internal. But I pray that you'll reveal it right now in Jesus' name. So if that's you, just lift your hand up. If God has revealed that to you, just lift your hand up and say, I know, I need, I know what it is. So hold your hand up really high. So I want you all to pray with me. We're just going to pray together. Father, I, I pray right now, God, we come to you with, 
all of our pride, all our unforgiveness. Lord, we pray, we come to you with all of our valuing other things above you. We, we, we come to you with all those things that would hinder us in any way. And Lord, right now we break it. We break it. We break it. We break it. In Jesus' name. And we pour our worship over you. Could you just begin to worship God right now? Just begin to tell him how much you love him. Just begin to say good, positive things about him. Just say, God, I love you. God, you're awesome. God, you want whatever it is. Just begin to praise him. Just begin to worship him. Let it break in you. Come on, no hold back. Let it break in you. Give him the worship that belongs to him. We surrender all, Jesus. We surrender all, Jesus. Right now, we take this moment in time. We don't worry about anything else. We don't think about anything else, God. We surrender all. We surrender all. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to Him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.